0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the July uh, construction webinar here at Lois Law Firm. Uh, For those of you who've attended previously, uh, welcome back. If there's anyone who's new, let me take a moment to introduce myself. My name is Tashia Rasul. I'm an attorney here at uh, Lois Law Firm. I'm a partner and also the team leader of the very unique uh, construction defense practice team here at Lois Law Firm. Um, This webinar series is new for us, new in 2020. We've been doing it once a month, the first Monday of every month. Um, Look, it's July already, and uh, we're halfway through the year. We've got some more exciting topics to talk about. Um, If you don't already know, I have some news for you. I do have a Uh, construction handbook, Defending Construction Claims in New York, which is new this year. If you already have a copy, I hope you enjoyed reading it and didn't fall asleep. If you'd like a copy, please let me know. Um, You can email me or uh, submit a request uh, through our website and I'll get a copy your way. So today we're going to discuss uh, legal issues that arise in uh, defending uh, workers' compensation and general liability claims jointly. Uh, We're going to talk about uh, privileges, disclosures, uh, and collateral estoppel. We'll talk a little bit about uh, protected and unprotected documents, some of the most commonly used documents, and um, investigation reports. I'll focus a lot on investigation reports. Remember, this is a live presentation. Um, so you can ask your questions in the end. This is what the box will look like. Uh, just click there, type in your questions, I'll see them, and um, I'll provide an answer at the end of the webinar. So why is it so important that we discuss um, the legal issues that arise as a as a result of um, joint defense between workers' compensation and uh, general liability claims. Um, As I've been talking about from the beginning of the year in all of the prior webinars, investigation is key. Cost savings is key to the client and also, um, so some questions to consider are which side of the house is taking the lead on the investigation? Which parts of the investigation is shared to which counsel and when? And what, what are the privileges and disclosures and um, how, how can they be abrogated? So let's start with the privileges, the attorney-client privilege. Now, we've all heard of the attorney-client privilege. What exactly is it, though? Let's take a look. The attorney-client privilege protects the fact that the attorney was informed of by his client without the presence of strangers for the purpose of securing primarily either an opinion in, or on law or legal services or assistance in some legal proceeding. We talk about attorney-client privilege every day. It's really the communication between the client and their attorney, the things that the client's telling their attorney in order to um, pursue litigation or defend litigation of a claim. I think it's fairly straightforward. Um, Once in a while, it comes up in workers' compensation claims, but it it comes up a lot in general liability claims during the discovery phase when the the parties are requesting certain information. The attorneys and the client can raise the attorney-client privilege. The common interest privilege. So This is really a misnomer. It's really the attorney-client privilege, but it's when different parties have different lawyers, but there's a, a, a foundational common interest in the litigation. We definitely see this in a lot of construction claims where we have workers' compensation on one end, we have the general liability on the other, and uh, there, there's a common client, for example, the owner of the project or, you know, the, the general contractor of the project. And they have separate attorneys, but the underlying interest is the same. So this is really the common interest privilege. It's the same as the attorney-client privilege, but it's, it, the, the term is actually used when there are multiple parties involved. Attorney work product. Material created by the attorney for the purposes of litigation that reflect the attorney's legal research, analysis, conclusions, legal theory, or strategy. Now, this is very important because not everything an attorney creates is subject to the attorney work product um, privilege. Uh, For example, a list of notice witnesses. This is not attorney work product because there was no legal research, analysis, or conclusions, or any strategy included in it. If it's a list of documents we intend to produce a trial, it's not subject to the attorney work product uh, privilege, especially in workers' compensation where in denied claims or even preparation for a regular trial uh, after the claim is established, Uh, we should be producing a list of documents that we intend to use at the trial. It's not um, a secret, it's not subject to any privilege. Uh, the claimant has the right to know what we're going to produce, so it's not um, attorney work product. Documents prepared in the ordinary course of an insurance company's investigation to determine whether to accept or reject coverage or evaluate a claim of loss. Sadly, this is not attorney work product, even if an attorney was consulted to make the determination. Qualified privilege. So this is an interesting one. This one comes up a lot in workers' compensation. We raise this a lot when we're um, talking about covert surveillance and determining whether to, uh, you know, how to use it and um, pursue fraud and then it's usually requested and so forth. So it arises when the claimant is, the, the claimant is aware that their surveillance somehow become aware of that their surveillance and they're trying to get the surveillance to use in their general liability claim now as we all know covert surveillance done by the workers comp carrier is not disclosable to the plaintiff in his general liability claim as the workers comp board is not subject to common law or statutory rules of evidence as we know it's pretty lax in workers comp however the the courts have ruled on this very peculiar issue because over and over, I've seen my clients, workers, com carriers, um, getting subpoenas for surveillance that they somehow discovered the carrier has conducted, and you know we usually uh, file a motion to quash the subpoena because they're not entitled to it. And the third department has ruled on this, saying that it it's it's subject to the qualified privilege. The workers' comp um, carrier has done it for a purpose. Uh, Previously, there used to have to be a showing of undue hardship or um, some substantial need for it, but the board did away with that, and they just relies on the fact that the board is not subject to the rules of evidence. So anytime we're asked to uh, produce surveillance or a surveillance report, we raise qualified privilege, and it usually resolves the issue. Now, before I move on, I'll just note that this is a little different from when we actually use the surveillance in workers' comp court where the claimant testifies, it's disclosed to everyone. At that point, the claimant can pretty much do whatever he wants to do with it because it's already out there, okay? So that's a distinction we need to keep in mind with regards to the surveillance and the qualified privilege. All right, so the next couple of slides, I'm going to go through. some documents that are unlikely protected, some common workers' comp documents. These, I I know it's a lot, so it might be hard for you to take notes. I can definitely send you um, a hard copy, but more importantly, it's in my handbook. So if you don't have a copy yet, let me know and I'll send it to you and you'll have all of this in there. But just for example, some documents that are unlikely protected in, in in accordance um, with with any privileges or like this co- disclosure rules or anything like that, uh, the Froy's, the that their felt any kind of like ocean investigation, uh, secu- uh, social security earnings, uh, so social security disability claims files, employee personnel file, union records. We ask for union records all the time. Uh, because in construction claims, uh, the majority of the workers are usually union employees. We wanna see their work history, who they last worked for, Uh, contracts. We need this uh, oftentimes in coverage issues or to determine who uh, is a true employer. Even the employer's internal accident investigation, probably not protected. And medical records, which we're gonna go into a little more details, as long as it's for uh, authorized treatment and it pertains to the worker's compensation claim. So the question always arises whether Accent Reports may be protected. And you know the answer is, and I really don't like giving this answer, but it depends. It depends on what the report is, what part of the report we're talking about. Um, so the claims index bureau report, uh, the insurance carrier is the only one who can get it. And it's usually in the format of an I format of an ISO claim search report. So, you know, it, it it's going to be protected in that regard. But of course, if we're using it to pursue fraud, then it could be disclosed. Um-site investigation, it's usually done at the time of loss. Um, I've talked about having an investigator go out to the job site as soon as an accident occur that report um, maybe uh, is protected and it's get it's it's obtained by the the, the employer the carrier um, and it's used for defense right and surveillance of the the plaintiff or the claimant those reports um, as i mentioned they're subject to the qualified privilege especially if the if we haven't disclosed it in the workers compensation claim if we haven't used it in the workers compensation claim Okay, social media investigation materials they're usually obtained at the direction of counsel in preparation for litigation um, in workers' compensation covertly obtained social media info is usually revealed after the claimant testified uh This is similar to the covert surveillance. Um, In general liability, it's revealed prior to testimony. So the rules are a little different there for workers' comp and uh, general liability. Forensic expert reports, uh, we haven't really had much um, uh, determinations with regard to this in workers' comp. There's really no disclosure method that exists to force the employer to divulge the reports. And things like environmental studies, uh, air quality studies, and so forth, Again, there's no disclosure method um, that exists to force the the employer carrier to you know divulge this. So those may be protected. Mm-hmm. Employee personnel file the contracts. I went over those. I think this is a duplicate slide. I'm sorry guys. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's move on to disclosures now. So medical records. I wanted to focus on medical records and HIPAA because this this is something we deal with every day in workers' comp. I mean, we need medical records. The claimant needs medical records to support his claim, and we're always asking the claimant to sign a HIPAA or a Form C-3.3. That's the board's quote-unquote version of a HIPAA. Um, it's, a little, it's a little more restrictive than the HIPAA. Um, so HIPAA applies to protected health information. Now, what exactly is that? So it can be things like health care payments and remittance advice, coordination of health benefits, health care claim status, enrollment in a health plan, eligibility for a health plan, uh, health plan payments um, for like a first report of injury or health claim attachments like HIPAA would apply. So we would need to get a release from the claimant to um, get this kind of protected health health information. Now employers, workers' comm carriers and physicians and other participants in the workers' comm system can share the private health information, um, the protected health information in connection with workers' compensation claims because of three exemptions. So what what exactly does this mean before I get into the exemptions? As we all know, in workers' comp in New York, we have ECase, which is the board folder that contains all of the medicals. Uh, The medicals are also sometimes sent by the doctor's office directly to the uh, claims handler for payments. Um, These parties are entitled to have these records, to view them, to read them because they're really necessary to prosecute the workers' compensation claim, right? So that's the reason why these parties can share this information. And it really comes under, it, 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 it really comes about because of the law, the three exemptions that says, if the disclosure is necessary for the workers' comp claim, which is what I just discussed, if the disclosure is required by this any state or any other laws, so if there's a specific Statute that says that you have to disclose the records and it has to be disclosed and if it's for the purpose of obtaining payments for health care provided to an injured or ill employee. So because we fall under the the, the first one, it's necessary for the workers' comp claim and also um, the third one, the disclosure for the purpose of obtaining payment for health care provider, uh, you know, they're uh, the, the medical records are being sent by the doctor's office to the claims handler for payment. So it's allowed to be shared in that regard. Now, when do we need the HIPAA, though? Um, okay, as always, I'm always ahead of myself with the slides. When do we when do we exactly need the HIPAA? In many of our cases, the claimant seeks treatment um for an injured body part outside of the worker's compensation claim. So specifically, what I'm talking about is like a prior injury. We'd need the HIPAA release to obtain those records. And that's generally when, you know, we're asking the claimant to get us the HIPAA. We'll get those records because in the past, you sustained an injury to the back and your current claim involves a back injury. So we need those records to address any pre-existing conditions or uh, pursue apportionment or anything like that. All right workers compensation records in general. So the records contained within the board file cannot be disclosed to the public. As I'm sure you know, in order to get access to the records in the board file, you need to be a party of interest or have special access through um, an OC 110A form that has to be filled out and then signed by the claimant and the board provides the access or the the judge can also direct access, right? Otherwise, someone off the streets cannot say, hey, hmm, I wonder what this claimant has been up to? Well, let me try to get his workers' compensation records. That cannot be done. Um, the exceptions are, again, to the employees of the board. So all of the examiners of the board who are going through all of the records and reading them to determine X actions to be taken the claimant, of course, his attorney or his representative, and the employer, of course, because the claim is being filed against the employer. Um, If it's pursuant to contractual or statutory authority, for example, governmental agencies, the health insurance plan, the treating physicians have the right to see the record. So oftentimes you'll see documents other than uh, medical records are being sent to the doctor. It could be, um, for example, the C3, or claimant's testimony, or even things like the covert surveillance after it's been disclosed and we want the doctors to review them. Those are part of the board file. <clears throat> and those are just like general workers comp records that are part of the file. Those can be shared with the treating physicians. And upon written permission by the claimant, so if the claimant wants that person off the street to see what he's been up to, he can just submit it and write in and the documents are going to be turned over to them and court order subpoena of course so you know if there's another lawsuit going on and um they need the records from the workers compensation claim in order to prosecute their lawsuit they can seek a court order or issue a subpoena for the records all right so let's talk a little bit of workers compensation uh discovery now, we know how workers' compensation is pretty much on the informal side. You know, it's it's administrative law. Everyone makes fun of us because it's not a big boy court like the GL claim. Um, and we don't really hear much about discovery in workers' compensation the way you would hear about it. in the general liability claim where it takes place at a certain time. There are conferences, there are uh, Interrogatories served, their discovery demand served, and responses have to be filed. Workers' compensation, and I think one of the reasons is because it moves so quickly, and the issue is so narrow, doesn't have any formal uh, discovery phase. It's it's pretty much uh, formal discovery is pretty much non-existent in workers' compensation. Uh, claimants attorneys, I can tell you, they rarely request discovery and it's, pr- it's it's probably because they have access to e-case and then there's the P at 16.2. And then there's their very honest claimants who are telling them exactly what happened. So they don't need anything else, right? On the flip side though, the carrier, the, the employer is the one that's always requesting more information. And discovery can range anything from submission to an IME hey we need you to go see our doctors so our doctor can evaluate you. I demand that the claimant submit a C3. Now you think that a C3 is absolutely necessary to start a claim but because of the the, the, the way the board is so laid back, a, a claim can start and proceed and conclude without a C3. However, the C3 is a signed document signed by the claimant and if he's represented by his attorney that has all of the pertinent information regarding the claimant's injury. His um, his employer, who he provided notice to when he first treated, who he treated with, any prior injuries, and it gives the employer and carrier very good foundation um, in determining whether the claim should be accepted or denied. So, you know, a lot of times, even after the claim has started, we're demanding that the claimant submit a C three, and this is con- this is technically considered discovery. Uh, cross-examination of the claimant's doctor, I mean, if we leave it up to, up to the claimant, we wouldn't do depositions ever. We'd be paying benefits at the total rate for the entirety of the claim, and the claimant's going to be found to have a permanent total disability in all of our claims, right? So this is where we have to be the ones, uh, as the employer in carrier, we have to be proactive. Requesting cross examination of the claimant's doctor. And this is technical discovery because we are trying to get more information from the doctor, aside from his report that he probably didn't complete, about why he thinks the condition, the claimant's condition, is uh, what it is. And, you know, also for us to poke holes in his opinions. So the carrier usually takes the lead on um, discovery. Request in workers' compensation claim and ensuring the file is as complete as possible, especially in situations where the claim is being denied and we need all of the evidence to properly defend the claim. Collateral estoppel. So, this is a legal terminology that refers to the fact that if there's a finding that is reached by the workers' comp law judge, it, it It could have a binding effect in the general liability claim provided the issue is identical. Now it's very important that the issue is identical. And let me tell you what I mean. So let's just say, for example, there's a determination of the claimant's uh, work status or employer-employer relationship or established body parts. Um, the, The finding from the workers' compensation claim can be used in the general liability claim under the doctrine of collateral estoppel, which really means the claimant is stopped from pursuing or litigating that issue again in the general liability claim. a Final decision has been made regarding the claimants, uh, let's say the established body parts, the the neck and the back were not uh, work-related. He did not injure them in the accident. So he really can't be suing for them on their general liability claim. Um, Some things that we might confuse that can be used for collateral estoppel purposes would be the nature and extent of injuries. No, that's not an issue that can be used. Um, Pain and suffering, that's not something that can be used as a collateral estoppel for collateral estoppel purposes in the general liability claim either. So the way this works is, and this is one of the reasons we've been focusing on joint defense between workers' comp and general liability claims, is that we need to keep the employer, the carrier, and more importantly, the General Liability Defense counsel in the loop about what's going on in the workers' compensation claim. Hey, we just got a fine and the claim was disallowed. Hey, we just uh, had this body part allowed, uh, disallowed. There was a fraud finding. How can you use this in your claim to reduce exposure? Remember, the general liability claim is the multi-million dollar claim and anything that they can use from the workers' compensation claim to minimize exposure uh, should be used. All right, so that concludes the presentation on uh, privileges, disclosures, collateral estoppel. I talk a little bit of the medical records and investigation reports. the medical records and the investigation reports um those are the two most important uh d- documents or uh, information that usually triggers these kinds of privileges as i as I mentioned earlier um we don't we don't see them a lot in workers comp they're more in the general liability claim, but I definitely. Use the qualified privilege a lot, and HIPAA is a very big deal in workers' compensation. So it's important we understand the documents that are subject to these privileges, and disclosure rules, and how they can be uh, obtained, and how they can be disclosed for uh, the pro- proper defense of the claims. It's very important because so in the beginning, I I asked like a couple of questions that we should be thinking about, and who does you know, the investigation first and um, what which, which side of the house does it first and how it should be shared. So, in our opinion, we think the investigation should be done on the workers compensation side. And the, the reason is on the general liability side, once they know of this investigation, they have to disclose it. So, for example, if they know about surveillance, they have to disclose it. On the workers compensation side, if we know of the investigation or the surveillance or you know any kind of information that we have that we're not obligated to submit to the board file if we don't want to use it we can just deep six it and that that's the end of it so i think the investigation should be done on the workers compensation side um The rules of disclosure are different, and we need to know what those are. So a lot of times when we're talking to the general liability attorneys, they're saying we're using code words as to, um, you know, the investigation that has been obtained, like no one ever says surveillance. They don't want to hear about surveillance because then they would have the obligation to disclose it. So, you know, um, in terms of like cost savings also, It's important to know that it should be done on one side and not both sides to avoid a duplicate cost or duplicate efforts. It definitely saves the clients a lot of money. Um, We've seen situations where there's not proper um, uh, collaboration between workers' compensation and uh, general liability defense and their duplicate subpoenas being sent out both on the workers' comp and a general liability side to get prior medical records, um, that that just really drives up the cost for the client. So it's very important that we know um, which side to start it on. Our position is it should, should be done on the workers' comp side and then shared uh, subject to the pr- uh, applicable privileges and uh, disclosure rules to the general liability attorney. So if you have any questions, you can go ahead and type them into the box and I'll... Take a look. I'll give you a minute to do that while I open up my screen here. And while you do, just remember the next webinar is next month, August 3rd. It's the first uh, Monday of the month. Mark your calendar. And we'll be talking about legal defense best practices. Uh, We'll talk about workers' comp strategies, general liability strategies and how the coordination should be done and when it should be done. All right, so let me see if there are any questions. So I don't see any questions on my end. If you did send the question, I apologize for not uh, seeing it. Oh, okay, wait, one question just came through. All right, so The question is, in your experience, if the carriers are different for the workers' compensation and general liability for the insured, will the GL carrier still be willing to rely on the workers' compensation investigation? Very good question. And the answer is yes. Because at the end of the day, it really could help the general liability carrier reduce exposure they would be willing to rely on the workers' compensation investigation. But since there are different carriers, they might be, if, if they're not familiar or they don't have a relationship with the workers' compensation carrier, they might wanna do their own investigation. The, the problem that we've seen happen though is by the time they're thinking about doing an investigation, it could be later in the game whereas in the workers compensation side or where there is the same carrier we're thinking about the investigation from the moment the the claim is the the loss is alleged or the claim is filed right um and there's no delay we're doing investigation within 24 to 48 hours so they may want to collaborate and say hey let's see what you've got okay this looks very you know substantial it could be shared um but since you know since since they're really like different carriers and there's no like common interest there i think they they there are situations where they would want to do their own investigation i've seen it in many cases where because it's not the same carrier they want to do their defense themselves and don't really want to collaborate with the the workers compensation attorneys um they just want the workers compensation file and then they take it and do whatever they want to do with it but we've definitely had success where you know we were able to um disclose some of the investigation and they were able to use it successfully all right so that was the only question i don't see any more if you have any questions after this whether it's with regards to this presentation or anything uh, regarding new york workers compensation in general or construction claims feel free to send them to me send me an email give me a call and I will uh, definitely get you an answer. All right. So I'll see you all next month. If you need a copy of my book, uh, let me know and I will get it out to you right away. I hope everyone's staying safe, enjoying the summer. And uh, thank you for listening. I will see you next month.